My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. With that, Donald Trump entered the race for the White House. If you thought it was weird that this announcement didn't get splashed across the front pages the following day, If you're wondering if he truly is a lame duck after all those clowns he backed in the midterms lost, and if you need a bit of clarity on what the hell is going to happen next, you're in the right place. Marion McKeown was our indispensable guy during the last election, and she's committed to doing it all again this time around. Should we have done a press conference, Marion, where we both uh, went off on a rant about the state of podcasting? (laughs) It might have gotten more attention than his did. You know, I I actually can't believe that we're here again already. Doesn't it feel like, to me, it feels like half an hour since the last election, since 2020, yeah. and about two hours since the one before that. It just seems astonishing that it really is a triumph of optimism, or you could indeed say delusion over experience, because he hasn't won a race yet, and God love him, he keeps on trying. Yeah, I mean, that is that really is it. The Guardian called it the incredible shrinking Trump and his eternal quest for attention. Is it really that simple? No, I don't think it is, actually. I think, first of all, I'm going to say this from the outset, Charlotte, don't write Donald Trump off. I'm not necessarily convinced he'll be the next American president, but he could well be the Republican nominee for 2024 just by the simple mathematics. And he has a powerful grip on a good 40 to 50 to possibly even 60% of his party still. He has a loyalty that is not transferable, largely because it's a cult of personality. And it Mm -hmm. really is that simple. And the people who I've come across in droves in thousands and tens of thousands will not transfer a vote to Ron DeSantis or certainly not Mike Pence because they would, if they think the Republican Party is treating Trump badly and Trump will not be shy about saying it, they will stick with Trump and it will split the vote. And if you have two, three, four, or even five candidates, which it looks like you could well have for the Republican nomination, Donald Trump's going to get the lion's share of that vote. And and I mm-hmm. think that's almost a given, unless something dramatic happens between now and early 2024. And of course, a lot of dramatic things may happen between now and early 2024. In fact, they're guaranteed to happen, I would say. But well, I wouldn't count Trump out. We've an awful lot to talk about with 
Republicans having won back control of the House of Representatives and what exactly that means from here in terms of the array of congressional investigations. They they must be licking their chops to get their hands on withdrawal from Afghanistan being probably the most you know, legitimate one. Hunter Biden's business activities and, of course, the government's actions during the COVID pandemic. But can we unpick the press conference and the announcement itself, first of all? We he can. didn't bang on about stealing the election. I thought that was really notable. And a lot of people thought that that might be the end of that. Well, it was kind of fascinating because that was one of the first things. I mean, his speech went on for about 63 minutes. I don't think a single channel carried it in completion, including Fox News, which just basically cut it off and interrupted it several times during the speech and sort of almost in the way that you can imagine a crowd at a wedding just turning their back on some old uncle who just won't give back the mic, you know, it's like, yeah, anyway, where were we? But I thought that Trump, he said during it that this was going to be an elegant speech and an elegant occasion. And of course, Trump's idea of an elegant occasion and most people's is probably not the same thing. I was very amused by the fact that the security at Mar-a-Lago locked the guests in <laughs> for the entire duration of the speech. <laughs> so it was a bit like Hotel California. You can check in, but you can't leave by God <laughs> until doors. he's finished. So they literally locked the doors from the outside so that nobody could leave. So none of the cameras or the media cameras could show anybody leaving during the speeches. And this is a phenomenon, and I've spoken to you about this before, Charles, where I saw it at Trump rally so many times, people would turn up in by the thousands and they'd shout and roar. And then after half an hour, they'd go, yeah, I'm off now. And it was almost as if mm. they'd done what they'd come for. They'd got their fix of adrenaline or hate or whatever they were looking for. And they ticked the box and was like, okay, I've been to a Trump rally. And so it was interesting. The other thing was, I and, you know, we're not mean people here on this podcast. And I have to say, I almost felt sorry for when he was on the stage and he said, it was my children, oh, and my child, my son. <laughs> and, and then the son was the poor, hapless Eric Trump, who probably wasn't even, it was probably the first time Donald Trump has ever referred to him as his son, never mind asked him to stand up and take a bow. And it was purely by a process of elimination because Ivanka Trump has already sent out a notice, lest we were unaware of the tension between her and her father, that she will not be partaking in this election because she has young children to prioritize now. Clearly, she only discovered she has young children in the yeah, last. Yeah, I was week. like, did I miss something here? Did she have a or baby? And she the missed meantime, something. She always had kids. <laughs> she had three even younger children in 2016, Mar and Mar didn't seem bothered. Like that is one of the big benefits of having a kid or kids is that it is the ultimate get out of jail card. <laughs> I've used it many, many times, and as is the right of every parent. Absolutely, but. It's a little hard to swallow when, as we said, the aforementioned three very young children were so much younger four or five yeah. years ago, six years ago. In fact, one of them was only a couple of months old. <laughs> but that did not stop her. <laughs> no. So that's one takeaway is Vanka uh, wants nothing to do with this. But that yeah. thing you mentioned of Fox cutting away, I mean, I really felt it was notable. I mentioned it to a few people that there really seems to be a media, a concerted media effort not to blow the trumpet or give this man any publicity that he hasn't paid for. 
Well, it's going to be a bit of a dilemma for Fox, isn't it? Because Trump, there, you know, there's Newsmax, there's One American Network. There are all kinds of aggressive little conservative networks that are really trying to punch their way up to become serious rivals and contenders for the conservative audience. Now, if they decide that they're not going to show Trump, a lot of Trump supporters will go to the stations that will show Trump. So I suspect that the Murdochs and News and all the rest will make a very calculated cost-benefit analysis. And if they decide, well, if we don't show them, we're going to lose advertising, we're going to lose audiences, and we mightn't get them back, um, I think that they, that might affect the calculus. And I, I think, I hope the media, because the media, all of us, made a huge mistake the last time in the coverage that Donald Trump got. There were two things in particular in 2016 that infuriated me. Now, you had to cover Trump. He was a phenomenon. You could not cover him. And he did become the Republican candidate. And of course, he did become the legitimately elected president. But there was this weird obsession with covering his every word and with also trying to give moral equivalence to huge transgressions by Trump in his personal life to paying off prostitutes, to alleged rape, to to all kinds of things and all kinds of fraud allegations and misconduct allegations within his professional life as well. And But it, the New York Times was the chief offender here as far as I was concerned. It felt that it had to give equal time to Hillary Clinton's transgressions. Now, the only thing they really had there was her emails. So they almost made, blew up the controversy about our emails, which turned out to be no controversy at all, to be an equal match. They gave an equal billing to Trump's multiple transgressions and, and scandals and embarrassment mm-hmm. and wheeler dealing. And it was frankly ridiculous. It was lopsided. It was disgraceful. And it, it was the New York Times trying to be what their version of even-handed was. And a lot of the other media followed suit. Now, a lot of them followed suit because Trump was such a news magnet. Everybody wanted to know about him. Everybody wanted to hear about him. I think now, to a degree, we've seen his act. We've all seen his act. And it hasn't really changed over the last six years. The only thing I noticed that had changed was he's now going to make America glorious and great, no, great and glorious again. So he's added mm. he's added oh it, another have two ever, letters. <laughs> so I'm not have sure. Have you ever heard happened. of a, a worse sequel to a, a movie where too fast, <laughs> too furious, that's essentially what he's going I with. know, but, but how will they get that on the MAGA hats? I mean, will it be Mag Aga, what's it? Go- you know how how is it going to work? How is, how is this going to work? Uh, because they're all about the slogans and the acronyms and all this kind of thing, and they certainly won't be able to get on on a cheap Trump made in Taiwan hat. They certainly won't be able to fit "Make America Glorious," no, "Great and Glorious Again." Well, I I hear your concern though uh, there, where you're saying don't write this guy off because yeah. first of all, he is out for revenge. And, you know, as you say, people are going to identify with his anger with the cost of living crisis continuing to spiral. And second of all, the the opposition, the other dudes that could run against him look exceptionally weak to me. Shall we go down through just a little brief rundown of right now who's in the hot seat? And please, can we start with Mike Pence? Why not? What better place to start? Now, Mike Pence, 
so far as we know, he does still have a pulse. It's very hard to tell, <laughs> but so sure far as we know, he's, he's still breathing. And the reason I know he's still breathing is he appeared on one of the networks earlier this week, and he was asked if he would testify before the January 6th committee, which is now likely to be coming to a very sudden abrupt end with the Republicans taking control of the House. Uh, his response was that they have no right to his testimony. That was his response to the January 6th committee, which has really been highlighting the danger that he was in, the threat that was posed to him, the, the, Trump's appalling recklessness where he was concerned. He has decided they have no right to his testimony. Now, the reason they have no right to his testimony, I'll wager, is because he already sold the rights to his testimony to his publishers. He now has a book out just yes. like John Bolton, who wouldn't appear, uh, who wouldn't testify during Trump's impeachment over over the strong arming of uh, Volodymyr Zelensky back in when he was had just been elected the president of Ukraine, and just like all of the other people who refused to cooperate because they had books coming out or they had whatever and they didn't want to compromise their credibility, Mike Pence is you know and. Again, this has been discussed before many times and by us as well. Yes, what he did on January 6th was his minimal duty. He had no choice in what he did. He had no legal choice. He did ask around and he did say, is there any way I can effectively throw this for Trump? And he was told very firmly by former vice presidents, by constitutional lawyers, no, you are a function. Basically, your role is titular. You go in there and you rubber stamp that. And that's all you can do. That is what your role is. Um, and I always found the heroism that was accorded to him to be slightly misplaced, to, to put it charitably. But anyway, he did have two of his key people testify before the January 6th committee, but he never would agree to appear before them. The reason was he knew that if he did, his p chances of getting the Republican nomination would be absolutely scuttled. Now, I would venture they were all they were already scuttled. They never got out from below the waterline. You know, he is never going to be the Republican nominee. Marianne, it's just yeah, not going to happen. That, that performance that you talk about in that interview, I'll have to play a clip of it here. Because the revisionist history that he is in the business yeah. of peddling now is astonishing to watch. Just listen yeah. to how suddenly we are to all understand that Mike Pence is actually like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie tough guy during <laughs> January 6th. But when my lead agent, Tim Gables, came in and said, sir, we've got to get you out of the building now, I stuck my finger in his chest and said, you're not hearing me. I'm not leaving. I said, I'm not giving those people the sight of a 16-car motorcade speeding away from the Capitol. I mean, can you realistically picture him doing that? Like, is that a dream he had one time? You know, I suspect that if Mike Pence put his finger in Donald Trump's chest, that it would crumple to dust like a stick of very cheap chalk. Yeah, or like a flappy piece of toothpaste, right? It's yeah. just... It, it, but it is, it is so unconvincing. I was amazed that he ran it and ran with it, yeah. and that the interviewer didn't push him on it whatsoever. 
but is anyone I'm trying to that? just laugh because yeah. you know I, you can my first thought was well I'm sure Trump was quaking in his boots <laughs> because <laughs> do you remember years and years ago in fact decades ago now somebody described uh, Jeffrey Howe who was the the chancellor who who basically that you know, this very timid mild-mannered British politician who was the one who basically turned on Margaret Thatcher and before that I think it was Neil Kinnock who had said that being attacked by Jeffrey Howe was like being savaged by a dead sheep. And <laughs> I think we could apply that to Mike Pence without having to change a single syllable because I don't think Mike Pence would strike the fear of God in anyone. I don't think there's an animate object on the planet that would be intimidated by Mike Pence. So, you know... Ron DeSantis, yeah. on, the, on the other hand, is a different oh, yeah. kettle of fish, oh, yeah. is he not? And... When people say that this is the best news, you tweeted this yesterday that this was the best news for the Democrats, that Trump could run again and split the party in this way. Is the split specifically between DeSantis and Trump? And is it possible that Trump will direct all of his anger at DeSantis rather than Biden? Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, Trump is a street fighter. He sees at the moment that DeSantis is the first target that he has to knock out. Of the, of the ring, basically. DeSantis is, is the, the thing that he sees as being the most immediate threat um, that lies between him and the Republican nomination. And he will do with DeSantis, or he will try to do with DeSantis, what he did with Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush and all the rest. He will ridicule him and belittle him and insult him and try to define him. And Trump has an extraordinary gift for picking on people's weaknesses, their weakest points, the things that people kind of go, ooh, when they look at them and, and magnifying them and having them dominate the, their entire persona. So I think at the moment it's Ronda Sanctimonious. Now, as we said before, too much of a mouthful for your average MAGA supporter. Not, that's not going to stick. Yeah. But DeSantis has been, he had an ad out a couple of weeks ago in which he mentioned God 10 times. You know, he does come across as this pious little thug. He really does. Now, Mike Pence is pious, but he's insipid. Ron DeSantis kind of has adopted this cultural warrior, crusader, for God kind of persona. And it's very humorless. It's very uncharismatic. It's actually very unappealing. I think one of the things that that a lot of Republicans liked about Trump was, even though he was nasty and vindictive, he did have an ability occasionally to laugh at himself. He could occasionally deliver a quip or an amusing line. Ron DeSantis has no sense of humor. He's not a likable guy at all. Now, he's a very smart guy. He's been a competent governor, if you like, your your large doses of, of cultural warfare, along with, you know, making the trains run on time, basically, and keeping the state in a particular, you know, in a fairly decent shape. But DeSantis, I mean, the, the things he has done as governor, which Florida is different. We Florida is like a different country. Anytime I've been to Florida, I, there are a lot of American states that I've been to where I go, my God, whoa. But Florida is another 
kettle of fish altogether. A different standards apply in Florida, different everything applies in Florida. It's basically become the playground for the super rich and, you know, who don't just cherish the massive gap between the super wealthy and people who have very, very little or nothing. They are vocally in favour of it. So I th- and there are so many other contradictions and you know, other things that go on in Florida politics. And we literally wouldn't have the time to do a deep dive into them. But I think that we can say that Florida will not necessarily, what goes on in Florida won't necessarily play in other states in America, even conservative states. It's too wack. That that did occur to me that, that, you know, maybe he just isn't a suitable candidate because he does come from this kind of weird little enclave in the corner of the country that is even too weird for the rest. Yeah, I mean, it's a powerful enclave. It, I think it has 29 electoral college votes, which is quite a leg up the ladder straight out of the traps. Uh, and it, it's got, what, you know, 20, is it a population of about 20 million or thereabouts? So Florida is of significance. It's no longer a red state. I don't think it ever really was. It's it's been I, I beg your pardon, a swing state. It's been it's been a red state now for decades, pretty much. For so long. Yeah. So yeah. that's Pence and DeSantis. We only have time for probably the third person on that ladder. And DeSantis is obviously one. Is Pence two I or think is he three? DeSantis is one. Pence isn't even fifth. You know, honestly, I think that Mike Pompeo really? will jump into the arena. I think he would present himself as the unity candidate, the guy who's sort of establishment. He's got the experience. He was head of the CIA. He was secretary of state. On paper, he's the most qualified. Republicans like him. He's a nasty piece of work at times as well. And the speed with which he has distanced himself from Trump, who he was all over like a cheap suit, as they say, while Trump was in power, is actually quite head-spinning. He's a ruthless guy and he wants to be president. And I think he thinks that he can, you know, if if the vote gets split, I think he probably believes he can come in the middle and pick up from both sides. So I would say he's one to keep an eye on. Apparently, Kirsty Nome, the South Dakota governor, who was again a huge surrogate for Trump, has now come out and said, basically, get off the pitch, Trump. It's my turn. Uh, so I'm not sure Nikki Haley may also emerge as, as a potential candidate. I think there could be half a dozen because what they will basically, okay. the Republican Party will have to do one or two things if they really want to try to knock Trump out of the arena. They'll have to get some kind of a pact between the other Republicans, that only one of them will go ahead. Now, which one, you know, which one is going to succeed? And do they really think that the other, like that the the Pompeos and the Pences of this world will be quite happy to sacrifice themselves to a Ron DeSantis? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Republican Party is in for a bloody two years and, and probably a bloody awful two years from their perspective. Well, like I said, we're going to need to talk about the House of Representatives shortly. We'll probably do that in the second half of the show. But the other big reason for him running has to be to avoid prosecution or at least to delay prosecution. There's so many legal issues mounting from January 6th to election subversion to the White House records that were obviously right there in Mar-a-Lago where they were found was where the announcement was made. And the Trump organization itself, of course, he's got a defamation case as well. Uh, I mean, how much do you believe 
this tactic of announcing so early will work to deflect these criminal investigations? Well, I think that the investigations he's most concerned about are the two Department of Justice investigations. One is into what he did around January 6th and whether or not there is a criminal case to be made against him. I'm not sure that they will make a criminal case. I think that he probably reckons that if he has announced he's running for president, that they won't be able to make a criminal case because it looked like they're persecuting a political candidate. I don't think that that would be the criteria they would make their decision on. I think it's more that it might be very, very difficult to get a conviction and to make the link, you know, to make that absolutely cast iron link between Trump and the rioters. Okay. I mean, there, there's plenty of circumstantial evidence. There's plenty of evidence that I think is very persuasive, but they won't bring that case unless they are sure they can bring it home. And um, the case that they can bring home would be the Mar-a-Lago case, the, the theft of the documents. I mean, that's that is a bit of a slam dunk. I mean, he was caught red-handed. Yeah. There's, there's no question that he took them and that he wasn't going to give them back and that he intended to keep them. Now, the reasons that he he did that are being explored with with a view to how do they make this case and. And what can they prosecute him for? And it now seems that he basically was keeping them for himself, for his own ego. He didn't intend to use them for extortion. He didn't intend to sell them to any foreign powers. And it seems that he didn't intend to do anything nefarious with them other than whip them out whenever he had an important visitor he wanted to impress and go, look, here's my letter from King Jong-un, or here's the plan to bomb Iran or whatever else, you know, that that he has shoved under his bed. Uh, so Just a bunch of cool that, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Cool, cool stuff. But I think that they can make that case against when they can get a conviction on that case. And I think they'll probably do that. But I'm not sure that that's going to be fatal to Trump. I think what could actually turn out to be Fannie Willis in Fulton County DA. Now, the charges that she's bringing against Trump, that he coerced election officials into trying to get them to overthrow the election or or commit fraud on his behalf, they seem pretty clear-cut to me. Brad Raffensperger leaked the phone call. We all heard Donald Trump saying to him, you better find me another 11,780 votes and hinting very strong that if he didn't, that Raffensperger could be the subject of a criminal investigation. To anyone, that's coercion 101. So I think if this case goes ahead, Fannie Willis should be able to make this case. She's handled it very sensibly so far. She's had victories all the way. Lindsey Graham is being forced to testify, although he doesn't want to in this case as well. He went as far as the Supreme Court to try and block it. Rudy Giuliani likewise has has been compelled to testify, even though he tried to get out of it as well. She's been pretty meticulous and pretty thorough along the way. And, you know, if Trump is found guilty, there's a three-year prison sentence. So the whole, his whole declaration could be moot. So I'm not sure that there would necessarily be a conviction in Georgia. I wouldn't guarantee that at all. But then there's the other case, the E. Jean Carroll case. As as we mentioned, I think Trump just libeled himself again. And there was this astonishing thing that was going on. Basically, just to remind the gang out there, E. Jean Carroll was the L magazine writer and a sort of quite a well-known media personality in New York 
in the mid-1990s, and she was quite a society person. She was pictured at social events with Trump and I think his then-girlfriend, I think it was Marla Maples or maybe, and, and her partner. Anyway, they knew each other. They travelled in the same sort of social circles. She claims that she was in Bergdorf Goodman one day in in early, I think she said late 1994, early 1995 or thereabouts, the mid-90s. And she came across Trump and they were chatting and he said he was buying a gift of lingerie for somebody. This is according to her and it's in her book. Uh, and uh, anyway, he asked her to help him to pick out the gifts. And the situation escalated to a point where she went into a dressing room where she'd been trying on clothes. He followed her in and she says he raped her. Now, she claims she has DNA on the coat dress she was wearing that day, which she says is Trump's and which she says will prove her case. Trump immediately came out after she made this claim and called her a liar, said typically and predictably she's not his type and she was making this up to sell books. So she decided she was going to sue him for defamation. Now, at that point, the then Attorney General Bill Barr intervened and he said that because Trump made these comments about her while he was president, that he couldn't he wasn't actually liable. He had a sort of an immunity, which meant that the Department of Justice would defend his case and that the taxpayer would pick up the tab for all of the costs associated with defending his case. The law that he, that Trump, that Barr was trying to use was a law that was introduced for mid-ranking federal employees, for civil servants who might have to do something and, and they're, you know, that they didn't want to do, who if they were sued personally in a personal capacity by an aggrieved person who went to the Department of Motor Vehicles or somewhere else, that they wouldn't have to pay for the action themselves, that it would be applied to a president on foot of something that was happened 20 years allegedly before he even became president was just ridiculous. But then, even more inexplicably, the current Department of Justice and Merrick Garland said that they would continue the legal action. It was, everybody was just dumbfounded, you know, not just ordinary pundits, but legal, really experienced legal scholars, lawyers, constitutional lawyers said there's just no basis for this. So, anyway, they were carrying on and the case was scheduled to go ahead in February. Then we mentioned before the new New York law, which allows people a one-year window, all adults, a one-year window to sue anyone who was guilty of sexually harassing or sexually assaulting them if the if the civil you know clock had run out on it. Uh, so um, E. Jean Carroll tried to have those two cases linked. And there was a lot of doubt about whether or not she'd be able to succeed with the defamation case until Trump, on his truth social, this time, you know, two years out of the White House, basically repeated all the original libels he'd made against her, saying that she was lying, that she was trying to sell books. She made the whole thing up. And by the way, she wasn't his type. So now she has filed a new defamation claim, which the Department of Justice can't block or can't delay or, or can't say, you know, you can't make that case against Trump because he just, Trump can't help himself. He just went and did it again and committed the alleged defamation again. So I think that when this all starts up in January, which is, or in February 2023, which is when it's scheduled to start, Trump got a lot of 
white suburban women in the past. Now, they did flick back to Biden in 2020, but they were, they, there were signs that they were a bit disenchanted and that they might well be persuadable to turn Republican in 2024. And a lot of data shows that married white suburban women are much more likely to vote Republican in any case than they are Democrat. But I think with this case, there's something about it that's so nasty. Now, let's assume that you know, the case plays out in public, as it will, even if E. Jean Carroll doesn't succeed in persuading the jury that she was a victim of sexual battery by Donald Trump. I think that the whole thing is going to be very, very unpleasant and leave people feeling very uneasy about Donald Trump in a way that they didn't previously, because there wasn't a court case where you had witnesses, where you had the alleged victim speaking about her experience. She has said she will not settle the case. Now, conversely, if she wins the sexual battery case, she will also win the defamation case. And Trump could be looking at a huge legal settlement, a huge and, and award of damages. And we all know he, he's not as rich as he claims. Exactly. I mean, we, we could be talking tens and tens of millions of dollars here. Uh, so I, But I think that will also really put people off in the primaries. I think, do they want somebody who's been found guilty of sexual battery, albeit only in a civil court? That's really... You know, it, the, the Stormy Daniels was one thing and the Karen McDougal and the other claims. And there were several allegations that he had sexually assaulted women and behaved in a way that was really inappropriate. We heard the Access Hollywood tape. But I think this is on a different level. I think this is something that people might just go, oh, no, well, no, this, this is, yeah. In the second half of our conversation, I really want to ask you, Marion, about whether this really is the only thing that everything else, it seems to me like kind of a waste of time in, in many ways. I'm not the only one saying this, that even if things come out, that there would be war if they were to try and punish this man the way he should be for some of these things. Is it all just more political theatre? And if it is, then what's the point at all? We've an awful lot more to get through. And there's so much news from the States this week. The only way to hear it all is to come over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. And for the price of a pint each month, you'll get access to all of our episodes across all of our series. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.